Welcome to Unique Careers, Unique Lives. This is a show and I'm on a quest. A quest to find how people get unstuck and create unique careers, unique lives. Every week I interview a guest to find their answer. Will you join me? Let's begin. In this episode, my guest is Ineke Vermeulen. Ineke is a senior marketing manager, an excellent communicator, a leader, a lecturer, a mentor, and everything that she wants to be. I know Ineke from our Toastmasters club. In brackets, Toastmasters is an international organization that helps people develop their public speaking and leadership skills. After one of our meetings, I was talking with Ineke and I learned her career story, which I found very interesting and a bit different than what I have heard in this podcast so far. I'm curious how you will perceive it. So listen to it and let's talk in the end. So Ineke, I am curious. Where are you now in your life journey? Yesterday, I was talking to some people and I made a, a comment about how uh, work-life balance is changing these days, how retirement age is going to be pushed back. And I thought, I, I was giving the example of my both my parents, who both have never stopped working even after retirement. Now they do volunteer work, right? So they never sit still. And then the comment came from somebody else who said that actually this has been shown to be a major factor in longevity. So people that have been researched in Japan, but also in the United States, who live to be over 100 are people that never stop, quote unquote, working, right? Doing something meaningful in their life, something that brings purpose. So in that regard, I think that sometimes I think in my life, I might consider myself to be in the middle of my career. But then again, I sometimes I think, no, I'm at the beginning because we don't know how things will unfold. And I certainly can't envision myself ever one day to say, okay, I stop working now and that's it. That's it. I'm retired. I don't think that's going to happen. What will happen probably is that there's going to come a period where I want to work less or do it more slowly or be allowed to take my time, be allowed to to work outside of the lines of what is currently perceived to be the nine to five job or the the projects that we have or the deadlines that we're working towards. So to be more aware of how the different um, age groups, you could say, can benefit from each other, how young people and their enthusiasm and their energy can be guided with mentors who have seen and done things before, but also how they can inspire people that have been at work for a longer period of time and that they can actually also teach older people how new stuff works, how they bring bring in creativity, new ideas, you know, open up doors that have never been knocked on and how people who are older, a bit more experienced, can just use their experience, not their knowledge of new stuff, new technology, but their experience, their experience with people, their experience with projects, their experience also in how, even though things go wrong very often, usually we are able to fix it in the end. Yeah. 
And I would like to see myself to be, let's say, I don't know, somewhere on that journey between, you know, still having, you know, lots of youthful power and energy, but already, you know, on the journey to be able to use my experience more towards helping others, towards lifting them up, towards bringing them forward. I liked it while you were talking. It was like, I thought I was towards the end, but I think, oh, sorry, you said in the middle, but also in the beginning. Um, and in between you shared things you do for with meaning and purpose. And I'm curious about what do you do that gives you purpose and meaning at the moment? Yeah, there's quite a few things, I think. Um, obviously, I my work is very uh, simply a nine-to-five job. I'm a strategic marketing, uh, senior marketing manager for a large IT company for which I've worked in various functions for almost 20 years now. So that part of, of the job is, for me, the exciting part of it is the work that I do with my with the people that I work for, right? Partners that we work with, internal customers, fun that we have with colleagues, and then also seeing that you can, even though it sometimes takes forever, but you can achieve something. The other thing that gives purpose and meaning to me, to my life, is that I also lecture. On the one hand, I lecture in intercultural communications, which is where I can share my real life experience of being someone who has lived in various parts of the globe, who speaks multiple languages, and who can share you know, the advantages of intercultural communication of, or the ability of communicating across cultures on the work floor, but also in, in private life. On the other hand, I also teach IT governance and compliance, which is something that I currently in my function at work don't use anymore but i have had all the training and and the and the experience in my former roles when i was portfolio manager and project manager and it's for me it's really cool to be able to share that and to not lose the fact that i was actually very deeply involved in the topic and to see how uh, young people absorb that to see how i can how they grow over the course of two, three, four semesters, when you accompany them, you go from, okay, my God, this is never going to be something. And then, you know, how they find their way, how they discover what they what they want to do in life, how they discover also that yes, they can they can move something, they can shake something. That's uh, that's very cool to see. Mm, well, that's fantastic. And I know you do some other things as well. Yes, but I wouldn't consider those to be work, right? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm very deeply involved in Toastmasters, which is for me, you know, the perfect balance between having loads of fun and laughter, but learning at the same time, right? And it's uh, for a Toastmaster, they will know, they will understand that when I say you only learn in moments of fun, that those are the words of Ralph Smedley who founded it. And I have found it to be very, very true. And it's something I apply also when I teach or when I give webinars at work, is you try try to bring in the fun because that's what that what that's what keeps people engaged. That's what brings them in in the, in the first place. But it's what what keeps them engaged. We get frustrated when we're not allowed to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. And so in Toastmasters, I've done so many things over the past almost ten years uh, now that. Uh, 
And someone asked me also yesterday, I was giving an educational for a Toastmasters club about the new educational program. And they asked me, but why do you keep on coming? And I said, well, because I keep having fun and because I keep learning, because it's never, it never ends. It's uh, someone who is a Toastmaster also said, uh, public speaking is like a mountain without a peak. You keep on climbing and you never actually reach the top. You always have something that you can further develop. You have always have something where you can go deeper, where you can develop, where you can continue, where you can, you know, sharpen your style, uh, carve it out even better. And that's why I keep coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I heard you saying in the beginning while you were talking about while you are in this journey that um, you deliver this message to young people when you lecture that we can make mistakes, uh, but everything can be corrected on the road. Uh, everything can take a new direction and a path. And coming to your story, what mistakes or what different roads have you taken that brought you today? Okay. Well, it's because when I say that I work in marketing in an IT company, it's been a, a long journey to get here. And I'm not sure if it's the end of the journey. But basically, when I was when I was a kid, um, you could find me more often in my dad's office than in my mom's kitchen. And my dad was an engineer. Well, he still is an engineer. You never stop being an engineer. Uh, he still uh, he still teaches or helps out kids with uh, with mathematics with mathematics for school and the likes. And so I played with what you would now call hardware. Eh? And when I was done with school and when it was the time for me to choose what to do with my life, what to do in college, what to do in university, I had no idea. I didn't know what to do. And most people in Belgium, where I come from, will then say, oh, yeah, become a lawyer because then you just study something and you can do anything with it. But my dad told me to study informatics. And of course, because I was 18 year old and a rebel, I did not do what my dad did. So I became a teacher. I I studied some other things also. I studied linguistics, but that didn't work out. Then I studied architecture, that didn't work out. But I finished my degree to be a teacher of English, geography and history, which makes me the perfect tourist. I can travel the world and be able to communicate and be able to understand uh, the culture. But even in my last year, I knew I never want to work in a school, not because of the teaching. I love teaching. I enjoy it. And I'm very happy that I can do this now. But because of the institution school, because of all of the obligations, because of all of the programs, because of the whole administration, because of the whole system. And so I was there. I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. And I decided to go to the United States for a year to be an au pair to do some thinking. So that's why I was the oldest au pair in history because I was already 23, done with college and everything. And actually the family I worked with was very cool because they needed someone who had uh, a very good command of English to be able to help the daughters with their homework because they were not small babies. They were nine, 11 and 13. So I had to be able to help them with the homework. So they needed someone with good English. And that was a fabulous time. But then I came back and I still didn't know what to do. A friend of mine gave me the idea to um, apply for a job uh, 
And the first thing I did was I worked in a French airplane rental company where I was editing in-flight manuals in English because the French engineers didn't have very good English. So I had to help edit that. And with my knowledge of French, I could usually straighten out the mistakes between English and French translations. But of course, that was not what I wanted to do with my life. Another friend then had the idea that I apply for to be coordinator of a women's center in, in Bruges, which I also did. They wanted someone with experience. I didn't have experience, but I told them I have enthusiasm. This is maybe better than experience. And they liked that. Uh, but after a year and a half, I had more than enough experience. And I, I also thought this is not what I want to do. This is, it's nice. It's educational also. And working with adults in education is completely different than working with, with children or teenagers, but still it wasn't what I was looking for. And then I saw that there was an announcement to work uh, or to become an IT developer. This was the year 2000. There was the dot-com bubble. All companies were frantically looking for people who could do things from web development to application development, anything with IT, they were in huge demand. I had not listened to my father, so I didn't have a degree in, in IT, but the company offered me the training on the job. So we were 17 people in a program that the company was testing out to become developers in three months. And it worked out for the other people better than for me. I mean, I became a developer, but even after one year, my colleagues and definitely my, my boss, the team leader, kept on asking me for other tasks than the pure programming. So I had to come up with a communication plan for the team. Uh, I assisted in a project because we wanted to uh, make the workplace a nicer place to, to work at, to make people feel at home. I was asked to work on a critical project where where I was working closer to the customer because there were some issues with the customer and they wanted me to somehow break the ice. So I was moved more in the direction of doing project management and quality management where my communication skills were more in demand than my developing skills. And over time, also due to some projects that um, we lost in Belgium, they gave me a project in Germany. And it was funny because I had always written in my CV when I had an application that I was willing to travel, that I was willing to live abroad for longer periods of time. I had been in the United States. I knew that you know, it can be upsetting to be so far away from home. But then again, I found it very easy to, to make new friends, to find new things to do, to discover the world. So I knew I wanted to do that. But obviously, when you're when you come from a small town in Belgium and you want to discover the world, you never think of Germany, right? So when they came up with Uber Bayern, I was like, okay, I will do it because it's only 14 months and then I'm back. And then the next time, maybe they will send me to Singapore or somewhere exotic. But actually when I came to Munich, I discovered that Munich was of course completely different than what we, the, the stereotypes that we have of Germany. And I enjoyed it a lot. And when I was back in Belgium, I was then fluent in German because the company had paid Deutsch Nachbedarf. And uh, so I took all the classes I could in German to master the language because as I want to communicate, I could not live in Munich without speaking the language, without being able to go out with the people who speak German. And I was back in Belgium and I was always asked by my colleagues, hey, can you call 
Munich because Munich was headquarters because we're not moving on this project. They don't react to the English emails. Maybe if you speak German with them, it will be easier, you know. And so I became somehow the telephone line to Germany. And this meant I had lots and lots of contacts in headquarters in Munich. And there was an opportunity for me to go to a workshop with the marketing team that I grabbed, which was all coincidence and coincidence and coincidence. But as I was packing my bags to go there, I thought, you know what, I would actually like to work in marketing because I see that something that we're missing in the company is we don't have portfolio marketing. So I was portfolio manager and I was frustrated because we didn't have actual portfolio marketing for the various aspects of the portfolio that we had. And I thought that this was um, a major um, gap. Hmm. And so I went to the marketing conference and of course I didn't uh, address this. I didn't talk about it. And when the conference was over, I was like, okay, now I didn't discuss what I wanted to discuss. So I asked for a meeting with the CMO, um, very nice lady the next day and I went there and I had my CV with me and the whole conversation was very nice, but still I didn't address the topic I wanted to address. And as I got up to leave because she had to go to another meeting, I just put my CV on the table and I said, I don't know how to ask, but you know, this is my CV, I have an idea. And she said, oh my God, I didn't know how to ask either because I could see you in the team and we have, and the thing is that the team was looking for someone who understood the portfolio better to do something close to portfolio marketing. And I was like, okay, this sounds really like perfect. But of course you can't decide that in the spur of the moment, especially when you're both standing up because one person has to go to one meeting and the other to another meeting. And so she said, you know what, read this book. She gave the book, um, God is a salesman. You read it and after the weekend we call and that's it. And this was February and on the 1st of June, I was in Munich. Wow. To be back in a marketing position. But this is this is now also again a while ago and the company has gone through ups and downs and we, we were sold to another company. So the my career path was never straight because not because of my ambitions, but because of circumstances. And because I have seen that with all the changes in the company, I have just changed with the company. A lot of people then say, okay, this is a cut. Now I can't do anymore. I can't pursue my goals anymore. I will move to another company. I will pursue my goals in another company. I have just taken the other option where I said, no, I will adapt my goals to the needs of the company. And this was sometimes frustrating. This was sometimes difficult. There were moments where I thought maybe it's better if I leave, maybe it's better if I do something completely different. But the fact that I've always found uh, a new position that I could feel uh, purposeful in, where I could feel, yes, this is something that I do uh, that which the company needs, but which also I can do very good. I can do it very fast. I can do it very efficiently. I can do it for a good price. You know, I can I bring value to the company and essentially, you know, there's, I mean, it's never been a straight line. It has never been a straight line, but I've always been surrounded by people who, where I thought, okay, you know, I can work with them. It's because very often, and I see this also when I, when I, when I teach, and actually when you, when you look at the research, 
much more important than the salary that you get or than the uh, the company that you actually work for are the people that you work with right and there are many many more people who leave a company who go to a different job because they have a bad boss than because they have a bad salary yeah? mm -hmm. because the salary you can consider do, can i live from it will my salary increase over time is it you know is this the, the mean is this what other people in my role in my age group would be paid but a boss who is you know either micromanaging or never taking care of what the team needs or not backing the people or taking credit for things that the team has done or who is unclear in the strategy and therefore leads the team to failure or something like that this is something which is totally frustrating and brings a lot of stress brings a lot of uncertainty and that's what people can't live with but you know changes other than that when you're surrounded with with a team with colleagues with a with a boss where you know you can rely on them you know also you can complain over a cup of coffee when things go well go bad or someone can come to you and say you know what i'm totally stuck i know that you've done this before can you help and where you also have the freedom to do this to help to not have to only focus on your own stuff but to be able to work with the people, for the people, and then ultimately for the company. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, while you were you were talking that you stayed in the same company for is 10 years, you said? I, have, I, I applied for the job in May of 2000. So I, I started working on the 15th of May in the year 2000. And I have still been with the same company. So in May, it will be the same thing. But we have acquired quite a few other companies since I've been part of the, the organization. So we go through restructuring reorganizations quite often. It cycles of two to three years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you see you see a lot of change in the in the people that you're working with. You see a lot of change in the tools that are being used. You see a lot of change in methodology. But what you see as a constant, what I see as a constant is, for example, in, in our company, the, the quality commitment that we have to customers. And what I also notice is internally on the work floor, the, the willingness of colleagues amongst each other to help each other, to mm -hmm. be nice, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was wondering what kept you in the company because you said I changed with the changes, but I never went somewhere else and I decided to change inside the company. And before I could ask you, you gave the answer to me. It was about being with the people um, that you like working with and later you also shared the, the values of um, commitment to customers, the quality and willing to help each other. And I feel you always also found a place where you can grow, um, where you can have variety for your own joy uh, in work. So I heard you answering to this question before I asked you with these details. From your story, what I found really interesting and maybe different than other people's stories, like how you, uh, from studying teaching, ended up in IT, you told a few times, a friend suggested me to try this work. And then another friend suggested me to try working in this uh, women um, institution. And a lot of people get a lot of suggestions from a lot of people but they 
think about it, assess, don't take action. On the other hand, you tried things out, decided that you didn't like them, tried something else and found your own path. What about you that made it um, try out things like so courageously, just test it, do something else? What contributed for you to uh, go on this journey? Um, I think it's a combination of factors also. There's, of, of course, there's the, the fact when you're young, um, you don't care so much. You're, it, when, you're, when you're young, when, when you're done with school, when you think of, of, of youth, you change every couple of years because your parents move, you go to a new school, you, you change things. So changing when you're young seems like the natural thing to do. And so trying something was for me, it was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. It's not, not going to be permanent. For many of the jobs that I did until I became a developer, until I found, so to speak, my place in Siemens, many of the jobs I did before, I kind of signed up with the knowledge or with the thought in the back of my head, I can still change this. I can, I can try it out. I can test it. Yeah. So this is the one thing. The other thing was that obviously I was, I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. So I didn't see any options for myself, which is why I listened. I didn't listen to my parents, but I listened to friends. Yeah. I listened to other people who said, you know, this could work because friends very often, they know you better than, than you, than you know yourself, or, you know, they know you better than you like to admit. And so they had, uh, at times they were, they were helping me and I was accepting the help also because I felt like, you know, I have to do something, you know, I don't want to just sit at home and do nothing. I, I don't want to be burdened on my parents. I don't want to ask for money. I want to do something. Yeah? And I think that anything I did, wherever I, I did, I learned something. Yeah. I learned, for example, one of the things I didn't mention before I went to the US, I had a temporary job in a a travel agency, which is now very often in the news because it just went bankrupt. Uh, and they had, my job was very tedious. They used to do, marketing used to not be online. Marketing used to be by snail mail, by post. And the post that we came back because the address was wrong, I had to correct. So address can be wrong because it's the, the street, which is in the, the city is wrong with the street, so there's a mismatch between street and city. There's a wrong, um, the, the house number is wrong, or the house number is missing. The postal code is, is wrong compared to the city and things like that. So they had a computer program, very, very simple tool created by a Swedish software company that helped me because it had a database of all the addresses in Belgium. So I could, I could search, I could find and correct addresses. So it was you know, very boring work. Yet the program was, um, had failures in it. So it had bugs and there were still issues with the Swedish company because my company didn't want to pay them because the, the software wasn't working. And what I discovered, and I think this has to do with the fact that I played so often in my dad's office, what I discovered is I always saw the pattern. I did what is now called bug fixing. <laughs> I, I identified the patterns. When you do this um, scenario two or three times in a row, it will crash. When I do this scenario once and then I do the other scenario, it doesn't crash, for example. So I, I discovered these paths and I tested it also because I was so bored, I think. I, I, tried, to, I tried to just you know 
understand the program. I, I try to understand the workings of the program to be able then to fix it. And I, I try to explain to my boss a number of times, you know what, um, I think it, the bugs are because they never tested it in real life. And I explained, you know, if you do this, then it goes. And he says, you know what, they are coming next week. You explain it to them. And I explained it to the company. And my boss was so, he's like, oh, my God. You know, I, I want you to stay because I had already decided I'm going to the U.S. So I had already handed in my uh, resignation. And he said, but you have to stay. We will give you more money. We will give you a better position. So I think we should have someone who is on top of the IT because if we only work with other companies. So I discovered then already that I have this um, ability to work in IT, but then I dismissed it. And in the United States, yes, I took a few classes in HTML programming, but that was just, you know, to make a website that's not really deep uh, technology. And then when I was working for the Women's Center, we still, there was no network. We had a word processing program to write um, our programs, but there was nothing like an actual IT backbone or an IT system, not even an email system or anything. And then they started to roll that out. And this was the first time ever that this organization had um, uh, had a man working for them. The IT guy was a, was a man and the rest was all women. And when the IT guy came to, to our site in Bruges, uh, my colleagues were completely incapable also of communicating with him. And so he kept on coming to me. And then eventually he kept on coming to me also with questions for Antwerp, for the colleagues in Ghent, for the colleagues in Brussels. So all of a sudden I was like the middleman, the, the woman in, in between IT and the business because the business had no idea. They also didn't see why do we need email? We've been working our whole uh, you know, our whole life without email, why would we need it? And all these kinds of things. And I discovered, I, I became somehow like the service desk of the company, which is why when I read in the newspaper that a company was looking to, to, to train people to become a developer, I thought I can do this. You know, I'm actually already doing it now without getting the credit for it. I'm already the IT person without getting the IT person's money. And this, so the various things that I tried actually showed me, in essence, that this is not the work I'm made for. I'm actually made for this type of work. And the evolution that I've gone through also within Siemens and then Atos has shown that I'm maybe also not the deepest engineer or IT person. I don't have the patience for that, I think. But I have the understanding and I have the sympathy also with the engineer when they think, uh, that the other people don't understand it, don't get it. At the same time, I have the ability to communicate it to lay people, people who don't want to be bothered with the idea. They don't, just want stuff to work. You know, don't explain to me how it works. Just show me the button, you know, make it work. And so I've worked um, the past couple of years also with some startups to help them, especially when they're deeply technological and not just IT tech, you know, it could be nanotechnology, could be um, engineering for manufacturing companies, um, um, automotive, healthcare, anything which is deeply technological. I'm, I help them to actually craft a message for investors, investors who, well, they care about technology to the point that they know technology will make me money. They don't care about technology to the point that they want to know how your chemicals work in the background or how the bits and bytes uh, combine or what security measures you have. Yeah? They just want to know what does it do. 
and how are you going to make money of it? Yeah? And this is where I've helped the startups also to formulate their cool technology into in a language that is better understood by people who uh, care about the functions more than about the technology. It's it's translating what I see in within our company also when you look when you talk with the experts with the engineers they like the benefits that are related to the technology they like they like the hardware the software they like the the benefits that they see are have nothing to do with the benefits that customers are looking for benefits that the business is looking for so to build to build that bridge right is what um, some friends call me the the technology whisperer. Because it's building that bridge between the technology and the people who use it, mm-hmm. and I think this is this is what we're going to be needing much more going forward, is that people have an understanding of technology, but from a point of view of what it can do for humanity, mm-hmm. not just for me and my business and for me that my sales guys have a nice reporting, but also how can we make the world a better place thanks to technology. The things that you shared gave a lot of light for me how one discovers what one loves doing. It's bringing bits and pieces together, but while doing the work. Yeah. And in your story, you ended up in a very specialty place that I would wonder if you could ever have uh, decided in the beginning of your studies, I want to study something that would enable me communicate technology to people who need it from the people who create it. That is so specific um, that one can only find, feels like one can find herself through it by while doing bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And you discovered, uh, you shared with a lot of passion how you see future evolving and the role your work will play in it. I would love to hear more about how you see yourself going into the future and your role. How do you envision your role becoming while you are um, going into your mentoring and your supporting stage for creating the future with other people? I don't really have this big vision of where I want to be. Sometimes when you apply for a job, people ask, where do you see yourself in five years? I usually think of that question as something that I can't have a grasp on because things happen and I go with the flow. I'm, as you know, a few weeks ago, I, did, I gave a speech about, be, about mentoring and I called myself a yes person. Someone asked a question, I already say, yes, I'm going to do it before I know. If you had asked me 10 years ago, where will you be in five years, I would never have been able to say I will be lecturing in a business school. But somehow along the road, also thanks to Toastmasters, thanks to my position as division director, and thanks to the dean of the school, who is a very courageous man who is always looking for new talent, and who asked me the question, when can you start teaching here, even though I was having a meeting with him to discuss about a joint Toastmasters event with the school. He asked me, when can you start teaching? And I said immediately without thinking about the work and the effort, and it was hard work and effort in the beginning, but it it gave me a new opening. It opened a new door. So what I 
see what I hope. Let's say in the short term, I see that more and more people are asking me, can you work with startups? Can you help them with, you know, translating their message for investors or translating their message for customers? So that's definitely something that I will continue and, and uh, that I have also a lot of fun doing. The other thing is I'll definitely continue teaching because it gives me so much energy. It's working with those young people, seeing how you can play a role in helping them to, to open their eyes, to have a, a wider look on the world. And for the other things, I'm not really sure. If an opening comes, if, if, it, if a chance comes up last year, um, well, not even last year, six months ago, more or less, uh, my colleagues asked me to do to take care of a certain project. And I was having a lot of fun. I had a lot of success. I got a nice bonus for it. It was really great. So I thought this is going to be something that I'll continue doing for a longer time. Then it turned out actually no, because it was so very specific and it was so very, how would I say, it wasn't using all of the talents that I have. So it was too limited and too limiting also for me. So if I think of what I, where I want to be in, in the future, I want to just keep my options open. I want to keep on looking, looking for stuff that I can do, meaningful stuff, obviously, but also, yeah, I mean, on the side, you do the, the tedious stuff, the stuff that has to be done, of course, as well, because you have to pay the rent. But at the end of the day, I want to keep looking. I want to keep on checking out what can I do and also, you know, work with interesting people, work with people that have enthusiasm, maybe also do something that doesn't work out and try something else and maybe discover even some other aspect of myself that I haven't tapped into because I didn't know I could do it or I didn't know it could be fun for me. So let's just keep that an open question. Mm, that's great. And you will also probably change with the changes in the world. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. And... For anyone who would like to get in touch with you and want to follow what you're up to, how you are evolving with the future, uh, how they can reach you? They can find me normally on, on LinkedIn and Twitter and Xing also for the German people. I have a website, which is just inekevermuren.com, which is not the easiest uh, website. Uh, I'm, it will change, I hope, this year. I don't know. It will change. <laughs> And um, then actually, I think maybe under the podcast, you can add my email address. Of course, I'm going to give all the details you shared about how to contact you. For cool. sure. For sure. Thank you very much, Ineke. This was such a joy to talk with you, hear your story and take lessons for myself. I'm sure people listening to it will also appreciate all these beautiful stories and all the passion that you brought to the sound recording that came out for me and I'm sure they will also feel it and we will be keeping up uh, with the future and seeing you mentoring others inspiring others and I hope to stay uh, always connected so that we develop the future together okay thank you so much thank you very much how did you find this episode in the beginning, I told you I found Ineke's story really interesting. For me, it confirmed the belief that we can find our ideal work or what we really enjoy doing 
after doing multiple things and bringing the bits of information together. In this story, you heard Ineke saying that what she loves doing is translating technology to people who are not deep in that technology and who are more interested in the benefits of it, the financial side of it. And she called herself the technology whisperer. I'm wondering if she could, or if anyone could come up with this idea in the beginning of their career. I want to study being a technology whisperer. What I also found interesting was that she, unlike many of us, chose to stay in one organization because she found she belonged, she loved the values, and she always created proactively a place for herself when she can grow and she can help the organization grow. And I find this a very refreshing idea that we don't have to leave our jobs, find different places to be satisfied with our work. We can proactively search where we can contribute and take these positions and increase our relationship and deepen our connection to the people. Plus, we can always pursue multiple different directions at the same time out of the organizations that we are working for. And Ineke gave a wonderful example of that in our conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you can find all the previous episodes on the website uniquecareersuniquelives.com or on any platform where you listen to podcasts. I also want to remind you that I am organizing a pilot program for people who are feeling unfulfilled in their current jobs and don't know how to navigate. In this program, they will learn who they are with their values, with their strengths, and they will learn how to be with their emotions because that will be the requirement throughout the career journey. And in the end of this five-week pilot program, they will be creating changes in their current jobs or their lives so that they can offer who they uniquely are and be energized about life and hopeful for the future. The program will start on 20th of October and the registration is open till 13th of October. If you are interested, you can find more information on Unique Careers, Unique Lives slash course or just reach out to me if you want on LinkedIn and we'll talk. My name is Ushul Uysal Karvelli and it was a pleasure to meet you in this podcast and I'm looking forward to talking to you in the next episode. Take care.